0: I'm Anthony Walsh, and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness, and your longevity. Today's guest is Mr. Joe Friel. He is the original gangster, the OG of cycling coaching. He's the author of Cyclist Training Bible and Faster After 50. This is Joe's second appearance on the podcast. Today, I want to dive deep with Joe on tips, techniques, strategies, and sessions to combat aging. So if you're an athlete over the age of 30, this podcast is for you. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today.
1: And one of the things I learned from him was that there's a lifespan, but there's also a health span. And of these two things, the health span is most important.
0: What advice would you have to somebody who's looking to stay motivated and stay positive about that athletic journey post-40?
1: Yeah, the key, the key to this is, to, um, is having a goal. So that I can go out having just had a good time and I'm still healthy, but something got me at the last second, like a one-second loss of health as opposed to a 30-year loss of health,
0: as most people do in Western society. Joe Freil, welcome back to the Roadman Cycling Podcast.
1: Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me again.
0: Joe, I want to start out. and I want you to paint me a little picture of what happens if we don't train effectively as we age. If we just keep riding around, like as I call it, a, a headless chicken, we're going out the door without a plan, without a focus, without any goals, without any structure. What's the worst case scenario look like?
1: Well, the athlete who... Trains um, somewhat, you know, frivolously, just doing whatever they feel like at the time. is probably still going to do much better than their next door neighbor who does nothing in their life except just watch TV and eat sugar. Uh, so that we've, we've got that going for us, but th- you can do a lot better as you get older by doing some things that have to do with making you more focused on performance. First place, I always start with an athlete. First question, I always ask is, how much sleep do you get? That's kind of like the underlying theme for this whole thing. Unfortunately, a lot of older athletes don't get enough sleep um, for for a number of reasons. Some of it is lifestyle related. They get to bed too late, got to get up too early to go to work. Uh, or Or it could be physiological. As we get older, our body produces less melatonin, which is the stuff that helps you go to sleep. So we've got Several things, a couple of things going on here that need to be addressed. But that's that's the starting point for getting an athlete to be more fit is making sure they're getting enough sleep and trying to figure out the solution to their problem of why they're not getting enough sleep. And by enough, I mean seven hours a night at
0: least. Fast After Fifty is an amazing book, but I'm just wondering why did you choose to specifically focus on aging athletes? What are the unique challenges aging athletes face that their younger counterparts don't?
1: Yeah, a lot. Um, well, the reason I first focused on is because I was getting older myself. And I wanted to.
0: <laughs> we uh, all are, Joe.
1: <laughs> mine was considerably older than yours, though. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to uh, to read the research. I, I was going, I was about to have my, my birthday. I read a significant birthday, and uh, so I, what I, I was going to give myself a present. The present was going to be I was going to read as much research as I could on aging and performance. So I started reading all this stuff, and it' been it had been many years. In fact, it'd been something like about ten years since I'd looked at uh, the research on aging before. and at that time there wasn't hardly anything out there on it. but this time, I realized I was overwhelmed with information. And so I started uh, taking notes and and uh, and uh, putting on my on my blog stuff I was reading about um how I, you know what what the research was saying. About aging athletes, and more and more people kept coming to the blog site to uh, to read it and ask questions and, and, and give their comments. And so I realized this was this was a hot topic. There's a lot of people out there like me who really would like to know more about what's going to happen as they get older and how what can they do about it. And so I decided to make it into a book, and hence that's
0: how Fast After Fifty came to be. So, what are the physiological changes that we experience as we age?
1: There are a, a lot of them. A lot of things are going on as they get older. Uh, Too numerous to mention, quite honestly, but let's just hit the the highlights, things I touched on in the book. Uh, The first thing that an athlete becomes very aware of as they get older is their VO2 max is declining, their aerobic capacity is going down. You may not be aware of it at first. It's it's actually starting someplace probably in your early to mid to late 30s, depending on your, your training but it's going to go down. There's no question about it. It's not going to stay as high as it is. But one of the things that kind of keeps it from showing up when you're in your thirties, even though it may be going down, one of the things that keeps it from showing up is the fact that you're, uh, you're becoming more, you're becoming smarter. You're beginning to learn not only how to train, but also how to race. Because of that, you're able to keep on producing results. But after a while that begins to wear off because the VO2 max gets low enough that that no longer compensates. And that's usually someplace for the very serious athlete, late 30s, early 40s, to get to realize they're no longer able to hang in there with um, young athletes like they were previously. And so that's kind of like an eye opener for them. Some people hit it before that. Some people hit it after that. but, But it's going to happen. So the first thing is VO2 max begins to decline. Second thing is that we begin to experience muscle atrophy. This is probably not going to happen for cyclists in the legs. It's going to be the upper body, arms, chest, shoulders, uh, torso. It's going to become apparent that things are happening here as far as your muscle uh, strength and the amount of muscle you have. And that gets worse, worse with aging also. We've all seen people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are just walking skeletons. They have almost nothing left in the way of muscle around their entire body. That that's what's going to happen to you if you don't do something about it. So that's the second thing that that begins to appear. But that's going to come up well after your VO two max. That's when that begins to appear. Third thing is we begin to 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 gain body fat Uh, as we're losing muscle. We're gaining fat. The kind of worst of both worlds. So (laughs) you're not painting me a good picture (laughs) here, Joe. (laughs) Yes, it's not fun. I, I've been through all of this, and I and, I'm, and I, I still have to deal with it. Obviously, because of my age, but but I've learned a lot of things because of this. And part of the learning had, had just had to do with that book. But the last thing was that your your body fat begins to increase. Percent of body fat increases, and you may not notice a change in body weight because you're losing muscle mass at the same time you're gaining fat. Fat weighs less than muscle, so your body weight weight may stay about the same, but you're losing muscle. Unless you're doing something about it, you're losing muscle, especially for a cyclist, upper body. So those are the big three. There's, there are so many other things besides that. There are too numerous to even mention, but I'll stop right there because I can overwhelm you with too many problems.
0: For the first time in years, I have really big targets that I'm super passionate about this summer. And although the warmer months are approaching, I don't want to slip into that trap I see so many riders falling into, just riding around with no focus and no aim with their friends simply because the good weather is starting to arrive. I'm still using my Watt bike almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way into my target events, Rift, Migration Gravel, and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be partnering with Wattbike. The Wattbike Adam, it's sitting next to the desk in the recording studio, and if I have an hour between interviews, I jump on. It's removing all those friction points for me. No more 10-minute setup on folding legs, banging my knees off stuff, connection issues. It just works every single time. The Adam is perfect for riding Zwift because it has those crisp gear changes. Boom, boom. 1% power accuracy and max gradient capability of 25% if only my legs had a max gradient capability of 25%. Even if I'm riding those steepest climbs on Witopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding that custom gearing setup. So if I'm riding a particularly hilly route, I'll select a more climbing suitable gear ratio. It's the business. If you're looking for an indoor trainer, if you're looking to stay sharp this summer and not lose that hard-earned fitness over the winter, I couldn't recommend the Bike setup any higher. It's the last indoor trainer you're ever going to need. Head on over to Wattbike.com. Now and check out their full range. What I've noticed is there's a perception among athletes when they're over the age of 35, they feel like their best days are behind them. And I'm 39 now. And what I've noticed, especially this year, as I'm coming close to quite a big milestone birthday, I'm starting to hear these seemingly innocent comments from my peers or other people at races. And they're maybe motivated by their own limitations, and they're like comments around, "Oh, you'll start to feel your age catching up on you," and little innocent you know sort of quips like that. What advice would you have to somebody who's looking to stay motivated and stay positive about that athletic journey post 40?
1: yeah, the key the key to this is to um is having a goal what What do I want? Why do I ride a bike? Why am I doing this? And, and the reason should be that number one that you enjoy it, it's fun. If you, if that's if that's not the case, you're not going to make it. You're going to give up on cycling eventually, because maybe because of aging. Who knows? It could be lots of other reasons. But that that's number one. You've got to be you've got to be enjoying it. Number two, you've got to have something, some some reason you're doing this besides just enjoyment. What what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to accomplish? For those who race, these are this is the perfect thing to be thinking in terms of is competition what can I do? How can I continue to compete? It may simply be your Saturday morning ride group that you, you go with and that becomes your focus is being able to hang in there with them uh, as you get older. So, and there's, and there's all kinds of ways an individual could do this in terms of what their their, their goals might be, but I'd suggest having a goal. And the third thing is having family support. Your spouse has got to be there with you on this. I've run into so many athletes who, as they got older, and their spouse didn't really support their 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 training, they gave up on it because they just didn't have the support at home that they they really needed to have to keep going. So that's that can also be a problem. And there's other reasons also you might drop out. But the thing is, you've got to, you've got to, number one, be have enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, you're gonna have a problem with it right there. If you're not enjoying it, start to try to find things that help you enjoy it. It could be a new bike that may get you through another year. Of getting a new bike. Or could be join another another a new group you ride with, or a new training partner, or hire a coach. All these sorts of things are going to get you more motivated to to keep on riding. Uh, but there, but it's but there's always an end to each one of these things. If you decide to get a new bike, it's not going to be the sort of thing that keeps you interested for the next ten years. That's only going to last a few months to a year, maybe.
0: Can I dig a little bit further on the goal setting? Because I'm not sure if it's your book or elsewhere I read the quote, but I love it about goal setting. Like if you ask an archer to shoot, his first question is going to be, well, what am I shooting at? And once you give him that target, now it's easy to measure his progress. Now he has something to work towards. So that target is so important. But I've noticed my targets used to be to win category one races, to go off to maybe a big gravel race and hit a podium on that. But I'm aware that as I get the wrong side of forty, it's going to be increasingly difficult to be competitive against twenty-year-olds. So, how should someone look to redefine what success looks like to them and set realistic yet challenging goals to keep that passion alive?
1: Yes, yeah, not easy. You've, you've got to you've always be thinking in terms of uh, what what really interests me right now. I, I can recall in my own background that you know I, I raced up until uh, I was seventy years old. And only stopped then because I uh, my, my lifestyle changed. My I started traveling a lot on business, and for the next and up until COVID, up until 2020, uh, I was every month I was someplace else in the world, speaking to athletes or coaches or somebody. And um, so I had to stop racing. And if i found when to stop racing, I had to rethink why am I doing this. And uh, one of the solutions for me for that was. To my weekend ride with a group, I, I really enjoy getting out with a group, always have. And that became kind of like one of the markers that kept me going. So I could always look forward to that, that Saturday morning group ride. And uh, so I got motivated just by knowing I was going to do that. And do, Are you still one, hanging out with the guys? I do, yeah. We still get together. We've got, we got a break going on right now. One of, one of the guys in our group um, has just developed a, uh, a heart problem. And so he's really taking it really easy right now. So we've, we're not riding until we've got him back again. It's kind of like we're all for one, like the three musketeers.
0: <laughs> I love it. So I love
1: we're, we're, we're all waiting for him. He's, he's 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 dealing with this whole thing very well. And we think it's, he's going to get it worked out and then we'll get back together again. But for right now, I've got no groups. So I, I And I really miss that a lot. I, I enjoy that social side of, of getting on my bike. But nevertheless, I still enjoy. I still enjoy throwing my leg over and getting just getting out every day and and um, seeing the changes in the seasons and all that kind of stuff. It's all. It's, I just have a
0: great time doing it. So the big question, Joe. You've talked about the limitations of aging. We've talked about having to redefine goals. But how do we adapt our training to maintain peak performance? How do we adapt our training to offset that decline in VO2 max the muscle atrophy and the increased body fat? What strategies and systems do we use to make that possible?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's different answers to that question. It kind of depends. If we if we just take for, for example, for one little moment here, we take the idea of just muscle mass being lost. If that's the issue, when we start lifting weights. That's all there is to it. Muscle mass is not going to come back by itself. You got to do something about it. So the first thing to start doing is getting is lifting weights. And, and muscle mass, as I mentioned, for cyclists is probably not going to be so much the legs. Your legs are probably going to do really well. It's going to be the upper body. So if you've never done upper body weightlifting in your in your whole sport career because you're a cyclist and you didn't need your upper body, in fact, you didn't want any upper body, now is the time to start doing upper body strength training. Anything you want to do, it's fine. You know, bench presses curls, pull-ups, abdominals, planks, all the stuff, all the stuff it does from the waist up, you need to be doing that.
0: That's number one. To drill into that and make it actionable for people, how often does somebody need to be getting into the gym? Like what's the minimum effect of dose? I would say twice a week
1: is the minimum. It doesn't I, I wouldn't say there's a time. It's not like riding your bike where you have a time and you set, like an hour and a half or two hours. It's, that time doesn't mean anything in the gym. Only thing that means anything here is how many reps are you doing? What what are the loads? It doesn't matter how long it takes to do the workout. If you can get it done, what so what I did many years ago, I started doing this a long time ago. So I just I got just really tired of waiting in the gym for the machine to open up so I could do the next the next exercise in my set. So I decided I was gonna make my garage into my into my gym. And so I did. So now we we actually went out and bought a new house because of that. I wanted a three-car garage even though we only have two cars. So I have a, a bay in my garage to set up my my weight room. And every year I add something more to my weight room. So it's now becoming rather nice. And uh, so I get out there twice a week and it's like a, you know, it's like a 10 second commute. Nobody, no waiting in line to use the next machine. I just <laughs> do whatever I want to. And I'm done in typically about 20 to 30 minutes. I've got the whole thing done. I do it twice a week. So it's, it doesn't take really hardly any time of my day at all. And it's kind of like brushing my teeth. I just go do it. I don't think about it. I don't say, well, I got to remember to, to uh, go lift weights tomorrow morning. I don't do that at all because I know I'm going to do it. I, I don't tell myself to brush my teeth tomorrow morning. I just do it. And it's the same thing. So us go out and
0: lift weights. So you would see this as a non-negotiable because I know you've worked with World Tour Riders and I have World Tour Riders on the podcast all the time. And the jury for them, it's a little bit out on the gym. Yes, it's beneficial and they try to get to the gym as much as possible. But logistically, it's mainly only possible in the off-season because of their travel schedules and going to altitude camps. They don't get into the gym 12 months of the year. But for the aging athletes, you would see this as essential rather than optional. Yeah, the, the, the young athletes,
1: especially the, the elite athletes, you know, they're in a different world. They're not really humans. They're Martians or something. I'm not sure what they are, but they're <laughs> different. And they don't need the same things that that the older athlete needs. The older athlete needs to really focus on building muscle. Otherwise, you're gonna wind up, and and, and all, not only does it build muscle, by the way, lifting weights also makes the bones stronger. So that when you fall, eventually you're gonna fall down. You're gonna have a crash on that bike. Um, if you fall when you're 25 years old, it's probably not gonna be a problem. You're gonna lose some skin, you're gonna be bounced right back up and probably get right back in the saddle again. But you take a fall, even a fairly minor fall, when you're 65 years old, big difference. Now you've got a huge chance of having broken a bone, and that can set you back tremendously. So lifting weights also helps to build stronger bones. So it's kind of like a double whammy. You get two, two benefits out of this for you know for maybe an hour a week, you know, two 30-minute sessions, you're getting really a lot of benefits out of this, but it's gotta be consistent. You can't do it tomorrow and then not do it for the next three weeks. It's gotta be every week
0: you're doing this and would you look to periodize that into your training or is this just something that happens you know like a uh, maintenance all season around
1: the athletes who are uh, who are still racing need to periodize it i won't go into a lot of details there there's, there's quite a bit to it but i did that in my uh, cyclist training bible i talked about how to periodize your strength training because mo- the problem most athletes have is they think when they come to the race season for example they have to stop lifting. Well, that's really not the case. We just have to modify how you're lifting, how often you're lifting, that's and what what the loads are, and how but the reps and sets are. Have to modify all those things, and it's that's a whole long list of topics, which probably is not what to cover here. But so they can see that in my book, it explains how to do all that. But you need to keep on lifting. You're around if you're an aging athlete.
0: And I think your system as well of tagging races as A priority, B priority, C priority is very important as well, because athletes fall into the trap of thinking that they need to go into every single race fresh. But when we tag events as A, B, or C, we realize, you know what, it's actually okay to carry some residual fatigue from the gym or cross training into a C priority or a B priority event. That's just part of the growth process. That's true.
1: That's true. Yeah. The the key is... and should qualify this. I usually recommend you have no more than three A races in a season, which means you're gonna you're gonna taper, you're gonna come to a peak, and you're gonna be ready for uh, a high performance. But the more A races you have in your season, the lower that high performance becomes. In fact, three is actually pushing the limit. If I could have just have an athlete do one A race a year and that was it, we would have a tremendous race. It would be a fantastic event for them. And the output would be would be really good. We get to two; it's going to lower everything just a little bit. We get to three; it lowers a bit more. You get beyond three, it actually becomes almost a joke. You don't really want to be doing that because you got to
0: cut back on charting before you go to an A race. I had a chance to chat with the factor founder Rob Gittellis on the podcast. It's worth going back to check out that episode. I was super impressed with him personally. Factor are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with aerodynamics in bike design at the moment, but they're doing it with a social conscience and that's what's so impressive for me. They're mindful of that environmental impact, paying employees a living wage and resisting the urge to relocate production like so many competitors to lower cost labour markets. I'm super proud to be riding Factor bikes for the upcoming season. If you're considering buying a bike for yourself, put me a DM over on Instagram or over on Twitter, and I'm going to give you a personal introduction to the guys at Factor and make sure you get the very best possible experience. So if we move on to the second component of aging, which you felt was important, it's the decline in VO2 max. What are our strategies around offsetting that?
1: Yeah. Um, number one is consistent training. You got to get out the door and train consistently. You can't be hit or miss. You can't go one week, ride five times, the next week, ride two times, and then take a week off. It's not going to happen. Your VO2 max is going to go down. No matter what you do with those rides, you're going to lose VO2 max rather rapidly, in fact. So that that's the first step. It's got to be consistent. Number two, you got to get a lot of volume in. You need to put in the miles. Jump miles are okay at this stage. Uh, you need to get out to go. If you want to ride your bike to work every day to get some more miles in, that's great. I highly recommend doing that. You can fit that in on top of your other riding. That's going to make you a better cyclist altogether. I don't care what they call it. It's riding a bike is what it is. And we need to get more volume in. So that's the number two thing to do.
0: I was number reading th- a report from World Tour Physiologist Alan Cousins, and he was talking about to maintain a VO2 max above 50 after the age of 50 requires 12 hours per week of zone two aerobic training. And that shocked a lot of people that the volume was that high. And he said that news gets worse as you get to the age of 60. And by the time you get to the age of 70, if you want to be holding a VO2 max of over 50, you effectively need to be training with the same consistency, diligence, and discipline as a professional athlete.
1: My next birthday
0: is eighty. Uh, <laughs> You're so screwed. What, you need to train like Superman.
1: <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I'm not sure you've been quite that simple, but you can put a number on it. But everybody needs to be training uh, at a high volume. You know, I would say, you know, what does a high volume mean? I don't know if I can do it like Alan did and put a number on it for a, an age group. I've just always done whatever what I've enjoyed doing. I'm 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 riding now around something like about I guess. 12 to 13 hours a week. And my VO2 max is 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 hung in there very, very nicely uh, over the last few years doing that. Uh, And when I compare it with, when I go back and look at the research, it says what an 80-year-old's VO2 max should be, average population. They've got me as some kind of Superman off the top because my number (laughs) is, is huge by that standard. But by the normal standard we're talking about here, it isn't all that great. But that's just the way it is
0: getting older. you got to expect that to happen, but you've got to be consistent and you got to put in the volume. And I think that's a good point about you're saying around 12 hours seems to be your limit. There is a lot of feel and intuition in that. I ride, you know, slightly more than that. I ride around fifteen hours, but I notice if I dip from if I go from fifteen hours to seventeen hours, it goes from being fun to being quite laborious, and it all of a sudden feels like work. So I know around that fifteen hours is my sweet spot for you know a physical benefit, but also enjoyment and sustainability.
1: Yeah, I understand. In, in the winter time, I, I increase my volume up to around sixteen or seventeen, but I cross train. So I'm now doing more than just riding my bike. In fact, my bike volume actually comes down from what it is in summer, but the cross training goes up. And so I wind up with a volume, which is relatively high. And um, that, then I think that's a big benefit. That, that that brings me into the spring and summer with a nice base of aerobic fitness that I can now transfer to the bike. And now I can start doing higher intensity stuff, which is a third phase of become, keeping your VO2 max high is you need to be doing high intensity. And I would recommend no more than twice a week. Two high intensity workouts twice a week
0: is adequate for everybody. And so what would be an example of a high intensity workout that you would suggest in season for an athlete?
1: Well, it, again, it's going to depend on the athlete, but the most common one is VO2 max intervals or OB capacity intervals. So something like, let's say, five times three minutes at 90 to 100% of your VO2 max, so three minute recoveries between them, doing that uh, once a week and then going to do a group group ride another time a week, that would give you two hard workouts in a week. And and it's going to do a lot to maintain or even improve your VO2 max.
0: I used to be coached by former World Tour riders with Sky, Michael Barry. And I remember asking him how to pace these VO2 max efforts. And he said to me, go till you see Jesus. (laughs) I it's always (laughs) stuck with me. That's how you pace a VO2 max effort. (laughs) Go till you see Jesus.
1: That's kind of the way it is. There's, there's some suffering that goes into that. The way, the way to find out what what you got to have, is, as I'm sure you're aware of, power meter helps you a lot in doing a workout like that. Heart yeah. rate is not very good for, for something, you know, three-minute interval, four-minute interval. Heart rate's not going to do you any good at all. That's a waste of time. You need a power meter on your bike. And If you have a power meter, then you got to find out what is my VO2 max power. So you have a, a reference point. And the way you do that is you do a, an all-out five-minute effort, and see what your average power, not normalized power, but what's your average power was for that five minutes. And that's your VO2 max power. Now, when you come back and do this workout, like five times three minutes or five times uh, four minutes, or four times four minutes, something like that. Now you do all of those at 90 to 100% of that number you found on that five-minute test. And I guarantee you over the course of a few weeks, that's going to give you a much higher VO2 max.
0: This is a question I've always wanted to ask you, Joe. And I, it slipped my mind last time we talked. I'll be doing efforts like this in, say, getting ready to start the season, January, February time. And the first set of these I do, the weather here in Ireland, it doesn't get super, super cold, but it could be down at two, three degrees Celsius. Is there harm in doing those sort of full gas capacity VO2 max efforts in that cold temperature? We'd sort of joke and say, oh, the efforts got into my lungs because you'd have a terrible cough after the effort.
1: Yeah, I, I would suggest you don't need to do that. You probably don't need to do that type of workout at Ruby Capacity Intervals more than about six to eight weeks at the, at the most. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get a nice increase when you first start doing them. And that increase will be kind of like jagged, kind of like ratcheting up. And you'll keep getting your VO2 max and essentially be going higher. But once you get to about six or eight weeks for a good athlete, that's as high as it's going to go. From that point on, if you're now taking a risk of being injured from doing that workout like that repeatedly beyond eight weeks. You need to do something different. Cut back. Work on, work on your time trial uh, intensities. So something more around your threshold instead of your VO2 max.
0: The last part of this sort of anti-aging little formula we're putting together was body fat. You know, as you say, it's almost like a perfect storm because muscle volume has gone down as body fat is simultaneously coming up. What strategies are we using to cope with that? Is it as simple as reducing our base caloric intake daily, or is there more advanced strategies?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to it. If somebody's actually trying to lose weight, as opposed to just maintain weight, that's a different ballgame altogether. I won't go into all the details. If we're just trying to maintain weight, not gain weight uh, as we age, thing to do is number is, is number one, uh, cut back in carbohydrate in your diet, especially high glycemic carbohydrate, which means mostly starches and sugars. You just need to cut back. I'm not telling you to cut them out. I'm not saying become a Buddhist monk. All I'm saying is just begin to cut back on eating that type of food because that's the sort of food that's going to cause your, your body to celebrate because it's going, it's going to be able to put on more fat. You don't want that. You want to reduce the options for your body to put on fat place to start is by cutting back on those are called high glycemic carbohydrates or high glycemic index carbohydrates. So that's the first step. Number two is eat more protein to replace the carbohydrates you cut back on. As we get older, we need more protein. In fact, there, we're, the research I'm now seeing and have been seen for maybe the last 10 years or so suggests that, we, that older people do need to eat more, more protein than what we thought 10, 15, 20 years ago. We need more protein give a good example. So, so we're going to increase your protein intake but decrease your high-glycemic carbohydrate intake. What that's going to mean is you're actually going to, you may be able to actually lose weight by doing that because that that's those two things fit together very nicely. If you've been eating a lot of high-glycemic and not much protein, making that change is probably going to cause you to lose weight.
0: Um, I actually find that as soon as you're starting to become aware of your protein intake and you're looking to get, you know, grams of protein per kilogram of body weight in and around that. Like for me, that's around 100 grams of protein a day. And if you break that into three square meals, you know, 33 grams of protein per meal, it actually doesn't leave a lot of space left for eating a lot of these high glycemic index carbs without going way over your daily caloric guidelines.
1: That's that's true. Yeah, one of of the things I always recommend the athletes do is when they're doing a, a long workout, a hard workout, um, as soon as they get done, come back in and make a protein shake. So you start off, and those usually have like 25 grams of protein in them right there. So you're starting the day off, if you're right in the morning, you're starting the day off pretty early with, with putting some protein into your body uh, right after workout, which which some research has shown is beneficial for, for uh, helping to build muscle mass also. and And the nice thing about protein is it doesn't impact your body the same way carbohydrate does in terms of gaining weight. There's actually a research study that I just read. The study the other day was very interesting on this. The researchers took a group of athletes, and for eight weeks, they had them eat 800 more calories per day from protein. They kept their diet the same, but they added 800 more calories of protein per day. After eight weeks, they didn't gain any more weight. Their weight stayed the same. Now, had they been taking in a lot of starch and sugar, I can guarantee you they would have gained a lot of weight with 800 calories per day being taken in. There's a big difference between protein and carbohydrate, especially high glycemic carbohydrate. You need to realize that. And as you get older, especially focus more on the protein
0: side and less on the the carbohydrate, sugar, starch side. Another thing I've anecdotally noticed with aging athletes, and I put this question up on my Twitter a few days ago, kind of in advance preparing for this podcast, it's the injury proneness of athletes post-40. Is there a particular reason for this or is it like neglect of the body over a long period of time just as coming to this crescendo where they're starting to pick up more niggly injuries? Yeah, I think it's kind of a combination of
1: both. There's the athlete, typically as we get older, we have more problems with tendons, for example, or joints. You're not as able to deal with the stress that they did when you were younger. When you were younger, you could do a lot of things that you could no longer do without putting stress on a joint or a tendon or a muscle. So you have to be somewhat more careful as you get older. Uh, I, I took a fall over at a, doing a, a bike tour in France so about three years ago. And I, I took a fall coming down the stairs in the hotel we were staying in. And injured my knee, and to this day it still bothers me. But I can guarantee, if I was 25 years old, it would have healed up and gone away. Yeah. But now it still bothers me here. What is like three years later? I'm still experiencing some some difficulty from that knee because of that fall. So it we're just more prone to things as we get older. So that that's that's a big part of this is our bodies just are more um, able more or more less
0: able to to deal with the stress of something like that fall I took. I've seen a crazy statistic. I'm not sure if you follow Peter Atina's podcast, The Drive, but he was I talking know. about that. I'll probably butcherize the statistic, but. Yeah. A break in your hip was the leading predicator of mortality. If you break Uh, your hip, there's a huge statistical chance that you'd be dead within 12 months. It's like, it's a bizarre statistic. It's like there's a 25 or 30% chance that you're going to be dead within 12 months of you breaking your hip, not related to the hip injury, but it just shows it's a leading indicator of mortality. When I heard this statistic, I was blown away by it. I agree. In fact, that's how my mother died. My mother was a very
1: active person my entire life. She used to go out for walks after, after supper every night. she was very active. And then she got to uh, about her late 80s. It was probably about 87, I think it was. One winter, she got out of her car at the shopping center and fell down on you know on some ice and broke her hip. Oh, and sorry, um, two years later she was she' was gone. Uh, That was just the sort of thing that, uh, you know, I I agree 100%. That's one of the worst things that can happen to you as you get older is breaking your hip. Again, that's one of the reasons I suggest you do a lot of weight training to prevent that sort of thing from happening. And and exercising, like riding your bike, helps prevent that also.
0: Yeah, I guess it's so our physical health and our mental health are so inseparable. I look at my dad who has some compromised mobility issues at the moment. He has a clot in his leg. And it's a relatively minor physical condition, but I've watched the deterioration that's had on his mental health and it's profound. Yeah, it, it really is. My mother was not the same person after that. She began to have other
1: other complications and
0: sudden health complications in her life. And that's what eventually led to her demise. You touched on at the very start, Joan. I wanna go back full circle on this, that one of the keys to a lifelong relationship with the bike is having a healthy relationship with your spouse where she's supportive of it. And Mm -hmm. athletes, especially as you get over the age of 30 and you have these conflicting demands on your time, you have family, work commitments, social commitments. Any advice for someone who's trying to balance all these different facets and still maintain a career as an athlete?
1: Yeah. uh, Go back with a story on this. Uh, My son... Um, was, a, was a pro cyclist he raced in Europe same time Lance was uh starting the early 90s and um when he got married like about I don't know about age 30 or so he got married and about age 35 his wife is pregnant and I can recall having a conversation with him telling him that this is this is going to be the test of your life is about to start uh, he, he was still racing he was still com- you know com- very competitive. Still riding his bike daily, putting in big mileage, big volume. Very dedicated to it. But he's about to see this new thing that's going to happen to his life, which is going to really challenge him in a lot of ways. And first thing was I have said, "You're, you're, whatever you do, you're always going to be wrong for the next twenty years. Uh, if you can either give your time to your family, if you do, your career is going to suffer. If you give your time to your career, your family is going to suffer." So you've got this thing, you're trying to balance all the time between career and family. And it's going to be extremely difficult to do as a cyclist because you've got to put, you're also trying to put in so much volume and time. I have to admit, he did a great job of handling this. He was a much better father than I was and did a much better job with his career than I did also. So he managed to pull it off, but that's, that's <laughs> the crucial. That's the crucial time especially for a male, because the male has got a different relationship with the family than the female does. The male is supposed to be, is considered in in Western society to be the breadwinner. And yet also somebody who's supposed to be there to take care of the family. It's hard to do both of those things because you've only got 24 hours in a day. If you're trying to fit in, you know, two or three, four hours of cycling on top of that in your day, something's got to give someplace. So he did a great job. I I would not change anything he did at all, but
0: um it's a problem I know for all for all male cyclists. And the irony of it is you can spend time focusing on your family to the exclusion of your health, to the business to the exclusion of your health. But ultimately, when you don't, you know, do as the airline saying, when you don't put on your mask first, when you don't look after your health first, everything else suffers irreparably in the long run. I agree. That's that is very, very wise. Joe, just to finish up, uh, one question for you. You're approaching your 80th birthday. Congratulations on maintaining an unbelievable level of health until that age. But what do you know now for sure that you didn't know at age 40?
1: Oh, man, that's so much. Um, let me give you an example of a friend of mine. I, he was always my role model. He was 13 years older than me. And I've been following him for, I don't know, 20 20 years, I suppose, something like that. And one of the things I learned from him was that there's a lifespan, but there's also a health span. And of these two things, the health span is most important. He was very focused on his health throughout his his life. He just died about two months ago at age 92. And by the way, the last day of his life, he rode his bike in, in the garage on the trainer, and he also ran on the treadmill that morning, and he died that afternoon at age 92 his health span was was extremely good he he was always consistent in his exercise and so i always kind of like watched him to see what he was doing and i've kind of like modeled my life after his the same way i hope to die having just ridden my bike when i'm in my hopefully early longer than 92 but something like that so that i can go out having just had a good time and i'm still healthy. But something got me at the last second, like a one second loss of health as opposed to a 30 year loss of health, as most people do in Western society.
0: Joe, you know, you're an absolute cycling treasure. Thank you very much for being so generous with your time again today. And I wish you continued good health and plenty of miles ahead of you.
1: Thank you very much, Anthony, and I appreciate being on.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals